Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Street. I love the smell of night come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want them to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. No ballsy in the host chair today. Brennan McGuire with you along with Colson Scholes on the Thursday edition of the Sports Cage. Today presented by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Coming up later in the program, we'll hear from Dante DiCaria of the Regina Pats talk about the wildly successful road trip they just wrapped up. Nolan Cowell, the voice of the Esteban Bruins, will get us up to date on the SJHL. Glenn Suter with his regular Thursday check-in. And we have a treat tonight where we're going to go live to SoFi Stadium in SoCal, where the Thursday nighter is set to get underway between the Rams and, I almost said Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. Ballsy's down there, Zinger's down there, and they'll get us caught up on what's happening at that brand new paradise that they have in Los Angeles. But first of all, we go to the Western Pizza Hotline and join my good pal from Three Down Nation, John Hodge. Hodge, do you have plans for the weekend? I uh, I do not at this point in time, which uh, might come as a shock because I'm sure I come across as a real socialite and not at all just a, a homebody, but... Uh, We'll see. Things might get crazy anyway. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll go a little crazy, have a little fun, and put your laptop down for about three, four hours instead of writing about (laughs) CFL stories. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the things uh, that have been happening over the last week. Uh, The news in Regina, Jamal Morrow, of course, signing the contract extension. He was one of the few bright spots. Uh, He and, I'd say, Mario Alford were the sunshine on a cloudy day for the Riders in 2022. Uh, He's said some nice words endorsing Kelly. Jeffrey as the new offensive coordinator that hasn't been announced yet but that seems to be the worst kept secret Um, talk a little bit about the fact that Kelly Jeffrey is a complete unknown is there any doubt at this point based on the inside information that he's going to be running the rider offense I I certainly think that he is the favorite at this point Uh, I have spoken to people who believe that Kelly Jeffrey will be the guy, but that being said, I mean, we, we saw people earlier on in the process, Mark Mueller, you know, Kahari Jones, Jarius Jackson, Marcus Howell, uh, either take themselves out of consideration from the get-go or, or do a preliminary interview and then pull out later. Pete Costanza, the passing game coordinator and receivers coach for the Toronto Argonauts, did not do that. He, he did his second interview on Wednesday along with Kelly Jeffrey. And so to me, I don't see why Costanza would be doing a second interview unless, unless he was genuinely interested in the job. We all know why, you know, with the, the contract situation with, with Craig Dickinson, with Jeremy O'Day, why maybe an outsider would be a little bit trepidatious about entering, 
you know, a, a, a situation like that. We also know the Riders have a question mark right now at the quarterback position, but um, my money would be on Jeffrey, but I, I don't think it's a done deal as of yet, simply because we know that Pete Costanza is, is still involved. And, and in terms of being an unknown, I mean, Kelly Jeffrey, no, he's never been an offensive coordinator at this level, but he was a head coach at the U Sports level for seven years. Uh, he's, he's American, originally from the West Coast, and he has experience as an OC and quarterbacks coach dating back to his college days. So as they say, you, you, you can't do it until you get a chance. So, you know, I think he is somebody who's paid his dues and, and deserves to get a shot as an OC. And I'll, I'll also say the same thing about Costanza, who's a very long-time assistant coach in this league, has won five great cups in that capacity, but is also yet to get the chance to be an OC. I grew up in an era, as many of our listeners did in the 90s, when the riders were not very good. And it seemed like a lot of the coaches that they would bring in, you know, it would be guys that they would promote. I remember one year Jim Daly had been the defensive coordinator on a 6-12 and 12 team. Ray Ock retires. They promote him. They would bring in people from Ottawa who had a losing football program, and it really dragged and graded on the fan base. And eventually it got to a point where they decided and they realized they had to bring in an outsider. So it's not like this team has been awful for the last five, 10 years, but coming off the disastrous, and I don't think I'm being light when I say disastrous 2022 campaign, wouldn't that put more emphasis, more pressure on the rider management to maybe go get a guy like Pete Costanza, who is an outsider and comes from a winning program, not somebody who's been tarnished by the debris of this past season. Well, I mean, if, if the riders are that high on Kelly Jeffrey, potentially as the OC, one nice thing working at Saskatchewan's advantage is if he's already under contract for 2022, or pardon me, 2023. So if you did go out and get a Pete Costanza, and I think you make a good point about returnees and, and staying internal versus going external, uh, the advantage would be that Jeffrey's already there, right? He already knows the building. He knows the culture. He knows the players. And he could obviously be a, a good resource for Costanza. I'm sure, you know, as anybody would in that position, might feel a little disappointed about being passed over for an outsider. But, you know, it's it's a situation where, you know, he could even be in a position to to, to help Pete hit the ground running, so to speak. And and also, you know, you're kind of having your cake and eating it, too. Clearly, the riders are high on Jeffrey. Um, I don't think that they would be in this position where they're, they're interviewing him and, um, you know, conducting these other things if, if they weren't high on him. And so, you know, the possibility of bringing in Costanza uh, is, is something that, uh, you know, might, might benefit the riders for that reason. The other thing I'll say that's nice about both candidates is, you know, if you look at a, a guy like Kahari Jones, who has head coaching experience as a beloved guy in this league, I think there might have been a little bit of concern about bringing in a guy like that when, you know, if, if let's say this team starts off the, this upcoming season one and five, if the team looks to make a head coaching change, Kahari's the guy. With the, the nice part about these two, at least from a continuity perspective, if you're Greg Dickinson, 
is neither of these guys have a coaching experience at the professional level, neither even have coordinator experience. So if they're good at running the offense, they can get that done, but they, they might not be a threat as much to the head coach as some other guys. It's kind of it's sad, but it's true, isn't it, that there's a level of insecurity there um, when, when you're hiring a head coach. And I'm not picking on Coach Dickinson or anybody else. It's just the nature of the beast, and they have to calculate it from all angles. Personally, I'm hoping that it'll be Costanza because I know we'll have a million Seinfeld references that we can use if Pete Costanza <laughs> Becomes a play caller in Regina. Uh, hey, Steven Sorrells, uh, the recently let go, just not renewed offensive line coach for the Riders, joins Chris Jones in Edmonton. Um, is this almost a way of Chris Jones flipping the bird to Rider management the way he did last offseason when he sort of put them down for letting Steven McAdoo go and choosing Cody Fajardo, etc.? Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. By the way, Anthony Vitale, the offensive coordinator, who was at Edmonton last year, I've been led to believe there is a chance that he will be joining the offensive coaching staff in Saskatchewan, uh, depending, of course, on, on who is hired as the offensive coordinator, uh, possibly in, uh, certainly, I think, in an offensive line coaching role, but also possibly in a run game coordination type of role. Um, but to that end, I mean, we... We know that Craig, uh, uh, Chris Jones picked the pocket of Edmondson after leaving that, that, that team at the end of the 2015 season after winning that Grey Cup. And he's, he's kind of slowly but surely done the same thing in reverse, bizarrely, uh, from Saskatchewan uh, to Edmonton since he got hired as the head coach and GM of that team. If anything, I'll say this. I think Steve Sorrells is a good coach, and I know that might sound shocking for, for Ryder fans to hear after that team gave up 77 sacks this past year. But the Riders, from a personnel standpoint, were annihilated over the last few years across the offensive line. And I'm not even suggesting that that's necessarily the fault of management. I mean, this is a team that lost Jake Bennett, a former supplemental pick, to retirement. They lost Matlin Riley, a former first-round pick, to retirement. They lost Dakota Shepley, former first-round pick, to the NFL. They lost Brendan Labatt, seemingly to go camping, right? Like, like this, is, this is a situation where, you know, the offensive line is, is probably the hardest position group to fill on any given year with quality talent, especially so with the way so many teams use the ratio and and so for them to lose so many guys to, to reasons that are beyond their control, it's not like they're letting guys go to free agency every year and getting outbid. You know, guys, guys are stepping away from the game, guys who this team had invested high picks in. And I think that paired with maybe some scheme issues on that side of the ball last year were the primary reason why that team struggled to protect the quarterback, not the teaching of, of Steven Sorrell, who, by the way, was there for five seasons. Right? If he was a poor offensive line coach, he wouldn't have lasted that long. So I think this is a good move for Edmondson, and uh, I just think it's so funny the way that Chris Jones got the band back together in Saskatchewan, and now he's doing it reverse, heading west. Yeah, and, and it's taken a little bit longer than probably some of us thought it would be. And there are still questions about Chris Jones' rebuild in Edmonton and if he's going to have the same level of, su- of success that his first rebuild there had and uh, the one he had here in Saskatchewan, even though he didn't quite finish the job with the Rough Riders. And I like the point you make about Coach Sorrell's. Um, <clears throat> I host another program on access communications in the huddle, shameless plug, during the season, Tuesday nights at 7. And uh, we, we had Chris Best on the program. Uh, who, as you'll remember, was a part of the, uh, well, two Grey Cup champion teams, 2007 and 2013. And he made that point. He said, well, 
the O-line did well in 2019. They did okay in 2021. So was he a bad O-line coach then either? Um, one thought that I had in my mind was about the fact that because they gave up so many sacks and it was such a dumpster fire of a season in Saskatchewan and most of the blame and finger pointing went toward the offensive line and yet at the end of the day it's the quarterback who's being pushed out of town and we're not hearing a lot of talk about some of these old linemen being singled out or being pushed out of town a lot of the rhetoric is around well they might have the right players they're just not ready yet is this um a function of the Canadian-American import ratio, the fact that, hey, this American quarterback, we can replace him easier, more easily than we can these young Canadian offensive linemen who maybe not aren't any good yet, but we think could be pretty good in another year or two. I, th- I think the ratio has, has something to do with it, at least along the interior of that O-line. Uh, I will also say that I think the XFL, the USFL, have created a talent drain, especially for American players, along the offensive line. This seems to be the position the NFL is hurting the most for talent. Um, and, and obviously, if guys aren't you know, going traditionally to the NFL, historically they've come to the CFL. Now that's not necessarily the case. Players, while those leagues are not at the same level as the CFL, at least in my opinion, the talent is opting for... USFL and the XFL first because that is their quickest route to get to the NFL, right? If you can play spring football, that's your best chance to get into a camp come late summer, early fall down south. So I think it is harder to recruit some of those American offensive tackles. And honestly, I think that was the biggest issue in Saskatchewan this past year. It wasn't necessarily the interior. Obviously, the interior would have been better had Dan Clark not suffered a broken leg and missed most of the year. Um, but, you know, Evan Johnson has been a good player in this league previously. Uh, he was, you know, at the one guard spot. The, the, the really rough spot was right tackle, I think, for most of the season. The Ty Rodgers ended up getting cut. Taron Vaughn, I think, is, is pretty solid at left tackle, but he got hurt again, right, for a portion of the season, which has been a bit of a running thread with him for the last little bit. So I think the ratio plays into it a little bit. Obviously, Saskatchewan, I think, would be wise to invest that other high pick in that position group come the 2023 CFL draft. But I will also say this, Brendan, I think the quarterback position is one of the most underrated things on the planet when it comes to sacks. And this is a CFL thing. It's an NFL thing. We look at sacks and, and full disclosure, I am a former offensive lineman. So take that with a grain of salt. But I think that we so often look at the sacks that a team allows And we think of it as an offensive line stat, and it's not. It is a team stat. If your quarterback hangs on to the ball forever, it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. You're going to give up a lot of sacks. And if your offensive coordinator isn't scheming the proper protection or or isn't calling the, the right plays at the right time, based on what the defense is doing, you're going to give up a lot of sacks. And that's, that's regardless, right, of, of what your offensive line does. Because guess what? Defenses and defensive linemen get paid too. So to me, this is a situation where, you know, if Saskatchewan's looking to make a quarterback change, um, you know, uh, obviously I, I would guess, and this is me speculating, but I guess they would feel that Cody hung on to the ball for too long this past year. And he acknowledged that he was not nearly as mobile as he was in past years due to the knee injury. And if he's used to being able to escape from the pocket and dodge tacklers and all of a sudden he's no longer able to do that, guess what? He's going to give up a bunch of sacks and that is not necessarily on the offensive line. That's on Cody Fajardo 
and that's on his his play caller, who's not necessarily putting him in positions to be successful. So yeah. I'll also say that. Yeah. Stacks are not an offensive line stat. They are an offensive stat. Yeah, I know. You, and you, you make a great point. I mean, it's a shared responsibility, and sometimes we forget that. But Cody's pocket presence, I think, would lead many of us to believe he's not a very easy guy to block for. And looking at the facial expressions and body language of his offensive linemen on the sideline, uh, didn't look like they had a lot of fun blocking for number seven back there. So uh, that's another point. Hey, quickly, in about 60 seconds, uh, Jason Moss is the only external candidate being considered in Montreal. What a great deal for Danny Machocha. He can have a good season, turn it around, and then step back, be the GM. If the team does well next year, he'll get the credit. If the team falls flat, well, he'll get the credit because he wasn't coaching. And, you know, he looks like a genius no matter what happens. But at this point, Jason Moss would have to be a tough sell in Montreal after the year he had in Saskatchewan, wouldn't he? I I mean, yes and no. I I think if there's any team in this league that is the most insular, it would be the Montreal Alouettes. I think that's shown by four of their five candidates being internal. And let's also remember that Jason Moss was the quarterback in Edmonton when Danny Machocha was coaching there. Those two remain very tight. And so I think as much as, you know, Jason Moss is a quote-unquote free agent, after getting fired this past season in, in Saskatchewan, he is considered in many ways an internal candidate because he is so much Machocha's guy. Would it be a hard sell? Uh, I think to some extent, but there isn't any other names on that list of five that has any head coaching experience. And, and some guys don't even have a lot of coaching experience, like Byron Archambault, who played for Machocha at the University of, of, of Montreal with the Carabans. He was a member of the 2015 draft class. I haven't double-checked his age yet, but I'm not even sure he's 30. Like, like to be interviewing a head coaching candidate who's that young is, is pretty wild. And it goes to show how much Machocha values having guys who he already knows and trusts. He's not looking external for this. He's looking internal all the way. To me, I think the guy who will get the job is Noel Thorpe, the defensive coordinator, Though I could see Moss still having a role on the coaching staff, potentially even as an OC, which would then require Anthony Calvillo, another interviewee for the job, to go down to quarterback's coach. But to me, that's how I see things playing in Montreal. Um, Could Moss be the guy? Yes, but I think it's going to be Noel Phillips. I think the Riders would be thrilled if Montreal took that contract off their hands and saved them a few bucks, too. Hey, listen, we've got to run. Never enough time. Thank you for this, and uh, we'll continue to read your stuff on 3downnation.com. Thanks, Brandon. Anytime. Okay, that is John Hodge of 3downnation.com. Time to break. This is the Sports Cage on the Source 620. Details. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. Brennan McGuire and Colson Scholes in the studio for the Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. Go to Spreads.ca. Coming up a little bit later in the show, our Thursday check-in with Glenn Suter. We'll talk a little SJHL and hear from Dante DeCaria about the Regina Pats as we tee up their weekend uh, home game coming up Saturday night at the Brandt Center as well.
on the weekend, sorry, last weekend, I went and attended the sportsman's dinner in Milestone, Saskatchewan, and the great Curtis Joseph was the guest of honor, and uh, Colson, I know we were talking with Colin Lovequist off air about hockey cards. Yeah. Do you have hockey cards? I had some growing up as a kid, you know, got some of the... (laughs) I'm from the era where you get them at Tim Hortons, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm 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 even older than that. Exactly. Where we always went to the drugstore to buy them, but I had 30 cards to go and get Cujo to sign, and I went up and I, I'm trying to tell him, look, nobody's trying to sell yeah. these cards, yeah. and I didn't. He, I only took them four because yeah. I didn't want to like use up his time. And he says, well, where's the others? He said, I'll sign them all. But I actually think that hockey cards. This is going to sound ridiculous to some of you. I think hockey card values are still due to make a comeback because it wasn't the internet that killed hockey cards and baseball cards. It was those jerks at Upper Deck who overproduced Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie card. Completely agree, yeah. They just, they got greedy and they were like, more cards, more money, right? To an extent for them, yeah, but then that oversaturates the market and now all of us are out the money. So, yeah, no... Business executives, right? Just yep. ruin it for everybody. You know what? Do you know what we call that? Inflation, <laughs> exactly. which is in the news everywhere today. Oh yeah. But, yeah. but otherwise, it's just expensive, overpriced toilet paper, <laughs> as the one guy said on the Netflix documentary Trader Jack. If you're exactly. ever curious about hockey cards, baseball cards, watch Trader Jack on the Netflix documentary. Noted. And, um, Lots of good stuff on I'll write it. that down on my to-watch ne- list. Next time we have a rash on, I wanted to ask him about the uh, FIFA documentary, which is really good, too. Because mm. we were, um, it talks all about the corruption. FIFA Uncovered, that's what it's called. FIFA Uncovered. And, and yeah. it talks about all the corruption around the World Cup and FIFA. And I think that's a really topical thing with oh, yeah. the World Cup happening in Qatar. And basically what happened was... They all get together to do the vote for mm-hmm. who's going to win, sorry, host the 2018 World Cup and who's going to host 2022. Yeah. And it, they reveal, and I don't want to spoil too much of the documentary, documentary for people yeah. who haven't seen it, but Sepp Blatter gets this great idea. Hey, I can accept bribes from Russia so, and, and we'll get Russia selected over England who had a far superior bid for 2018, yeah. but we'll also award 2022 to the U.S., and so it won't look, you know, that corrupt. It's like you gave yeah. one to Russia, one to the U.S. What he didn't calculate was that Qatar was bribing other officials and that it would actually go to Russia and Qatar. And it's like, oh, my God, what have I done? And then the lid blew off. So, yeah, so sometimes we like to whine and complain about our own sports figures and how corrupt they are, like Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, etc. We have it pretty good uh, yeah. when you look at some of the stuff going on. They're not on the taking FIFA literal bribes. <laughs> that we know of. Well, yeah. It's not as obvious and exactly. out in the open. We'll take another break. When we come back, Dante DeCaria from the Regina Pats will join us. We'll tee up the weekend. This is the Sports Cage on 620. Sided way. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive a free $25 sports bet. Brendan McGuire and Colson Schulz getting through the Thursday edition of the Cage. Our next guest 
is Dante DiCaria. And if you Google his name, one of the stories that will pop up will be a nice piece done by Drew Posty of CTV News, who used to work here at the CKRM Newsroom, that explains that Dante currently owns eight reptiles, including three that he has acquired since moving into Regina. That includes two crested geckos, two gargoyle geckos, three pink-tongued skinks, <laughs> and a black and white Argentine tegu? Yes, sir. It's called a tegu. Yeah, no. Um, you pretty much covered the list. Thank you so much for having me, Brendan. I want to give Brendan McGuire a huge shout-out because uh, him and his, uh, his good friend, uh, Preston, came over to my house to help me move from my apartment to my house on uh, a very warm and muggy August night. So uh, I'd like to thank those two fine gentlemen for helping me out. Well, Preston's my friend with the truck, and I figured everybody's got one of those if you don't have one of your own already. And, uh, <laughs> and like, it sounded like this was going to be a quick, like, 30-minute in and out. And then we had these reptile cages that we had to take apart and <laughs> reassemble at the house. So they've all settled in at the new home? They feel at home now? I mean, I would think so. I don't know if I'm feeling at home. It's kind of daunting and weird to walk into my house and realize that I'm 25 and I'm a homeowner. It really makes me feel older than 25, to be quite frank. And uh, I think they're doing fine. They're doing well. My tegu's gone down into brumation, so uh, that's kind of like similar to hibernation, although bears hibernate. They sleep the whole time. Brumation means the animal is still alert and then will come out to drink water from time to time. And we'll come out to maybe get a little bit of sun or bask a little bit. But, yeah, he's uh, sleeping for the winter. The rest have uh, just kind of been out and about. They're doing well. And if you want to be a reptile daddy, all you have to do is Google Dante DeCarrier or find him on Twitter. Reach out to him on social media, and he will help you become a reptile papa the same way that he has done just that. Now, on the side, as a side note, Dante also does the broadcasts on this radio station for the Regina Pats, who just so happen to have won five of their last six on their West Coast road trip and the game in Edmonton. Break up the band. The chatter early in the season was... What's going to happen to the Pats? Now, they look good. Maybe they're sellers at the, or sorry, maybe they're buyers at the deadline. I won't ask you about all that. But all we ever hear about is Bedard, Bedard, Bedard. Tell us about some of the stars who have been stepping up who don't get nearly enough attention. I mean, there's so many to talk about. And I think I have to list off the four other guys that are kind of his sidekicks on the power play that have just been absolutely unreal. And I was just updating the, updating the media notes and doing my, uh, my preview for tomorrow uh, that's going to be going up on the website tomorrow morning. And I've got this cool stat. The Regina Pats have scored at least a power play goal in 16 consecutive games since October the 26th. And a lot of that is in due to part to the performances of Alexander Suzdalev, who leads the WHL in power play goals with 11. Stanislas Fosel, who's second amongst all WHL players other than Connor Bedard in assists with 30. Borea Vallis, who's chipped in at a point-per-game pace this season, and Tanner Tao, who's top 10 in scoring and top 5 in goals this season. And those four individuals need a ton of credit because everybody talks about Bedard, 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 27 goals in 28 games, 64 points. Yeah, it's awesome. 37 assists. He's been unreal. Leads the WHO in shots. But... Tanner Howe has been a really nice sidekick for Connor Bedard since the start of last season. I mean, he had 69 points as a 16-year-old last year. And, oh, by the way, that's not something that happens too often. So he's another marquee player on this team. But, I mean, Howe has been unreal. 
Sirius Alev has been unreal as well. Third-round pick of the Capitals. Solzl's really kind of come into his own this season. And Bore Vallis has taken a step forward. He just passed his career high in goals. He's got 12 now. He had 11 all of last season as a rookie 17-year-old. So, um, you know, it's really nice to see some of these players step it up. And, uh, I mean, this team is just more than Bedard, right? Like, there's other guys. I mean, you look in net. The Pats had difficulty in goal last year. And uh, Drew Sim has done a really good job. He's won his last four games. I, I was going to ask you about that goaltending situation. I know at the end of last season, uh, Coach Paddock wasn't happy and uh, told everybody that the job was up for grabs. But you think that Sim has it out right now? He's the guy? Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I mean, Keeper has had his, his lulls over the last three starts in which he's given up, I think, eight or more in two of the last three, which is so unfortunate because he's so wor- he works so hard. He's such a great kid, and he has so much talent. He's such a good goaltender. I really... Um, I really think he's going to turn it around. But right now, it's been Drew Sim that's done a fantastic job. I mean, you talk about winning four consecutive games, as I mentioned. He's got a save percentage over 900. Goals against is under three. He picked up a 47-save shutout against the Vancouver Giants, his former club, back at the beginning of that road trip, which kind of started the hot stretch for Drew Sim. But the Pats have had great goaltending over the last six games. So if Regina is able to continue to have that good goaltending, especially without Bedard in the lineup, then they should win more games than not. Unbelievable road trip, and that's always a tough road trip, no matter how good or bad those West Coast teams are. So it remains to be seen if that's going to be the turning point in this Pat season. I know at the start of the year, you'd predicted that they would finish anywhere from fourth to sixth, and um, they're just on the outside. Yeah, well, they're right there. I was going to say on the outside looking in, but I guess they're right there. They're um, right behind Calgary uh, points-wise for the number six spot. Uh, Coming up this weekend, uh, Prince Albert should be an easy one. The Hitmen, better game Saturday night. Well, I, I wouldn't say Prince Albert's an easy one. The Pats, uh, you know, it's tough playing in the Art Hauser Arena. The fans are on top of you. It's a, it's a smaller, confined rink. It's tough to play, and Prince Albert plays physical. They're known to lay the body and be really physical in a rink like Prince Albert, and I think you have to factor the travel in as well. Regina's going to be on a bus for four hours or four-plus hours on Friday and are going to have to go into Prince Albert and hopefully get a victory. And then you got to drive all the way back home, get back at 2, 3 in the morning to play Calgary, and that's the exciting game, the teddy bear toss game, which, which we can talk about briefly. But then Sunday, Winnipeg, that this is a really tough weekend coming up for the Regina Pats, and I'd like to see them finish off the, the last stretch of games before the Christmas break on a high note. But it's really going to come down to how they can find ways to score goals without Bedard in the lineup. Now, do I think they can? Yes, I do, because they still have tons of talented players. And we saw some examples of them finding ways to score without Bedard over the weekend. And, of course, over the end, I'd say the back half of that road trip. Easton Armstrong chipped in with three goals on Sunday. You look at guys like Sam Maremba, who chipped in a little bit. Ty Spencer had some goals. Tanner Brown picked up a goal in Kelowna. They're finding ways to score recently Without just Bedard, obviously Bedard has scored the majority of goals for this team this season, but it's nice to see some of the younger players, some of the unsung heroes pick up some goals recently for this team because they're going to have to step it up down the stretch. All I've been hearing about that West Coast trip in terms of the fan reaction um, is how every game of the five was a sellout except one, and I think they were 20 short of a sellout in the one arena. What was that like? What was the circus like going out to the West Coast and the Bedard show Going on the road. No, it was it was a ton of fun. I mean, 
I don't want to talk too much about just all the attention, the media attention and the fanfare and stuff like that because I think the Pats deserve a ton of credit blocking all of that stuff out and focusing at the task at hand. I think Connor Bedard deserves a ton of credit because for me, just watching the way he handled all the people asking for autographs, all the media attention, all the fanfare, everybody coming out with his jersey on, with signs saying, Bedard gave me a puck, Bedard signed my jersey, I came to see Bedard, like stuff like that. For me, just what I saw how Connor handled it just goes to show that he is ready to to do this at the next level right away as an 18-year-old in the NHL, right? Like just the way he channeled everything out and just kind of focused it, because his play did not go down at all, like zero. Like he, he raised his game. He elevated his game when the fans were there to see him, which I think is what makes him an exceptional player, and that's what makes him elite. So, no, the team did a really good job. I think they used the, the home, the, I shouldn't say the home crowd, but the road crowd being filled to their advantage. They used it as motivation, and they really channeled out all of the, I don't know, all of the circus, the hoopla that kind of came with it all. Regina Pat broadcaster Dante DeCaria is our guest here on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Hey, um, the one game that I went to, um, gee, I don't even remember the date. Actually, I do remember the date. It was on Remembrance Day in Swift Current uh, when the Pats went and they lost a one-goal game. It was a great game in overtime. All goals yep. were scored at the same end. And unless maybe the OT one was different, I can't remember. Anyways, doesn't matter. And we were sitting close to the Pats bench and we had my niece and my nephew sitting next to me and Bedard comes out on the ice and, you know, everybody's trying to get like a selfie with him during warm-up. They're trying to get yep. some kind of video, some kind, some kind of keepsake because we know he's not going to be here forever. And he gets off the bench and I hit record on my phone. I filmed his whole shift. He makes an amazing play, gets the goal, high-fiving his buddies and I get my niece and my nephew all in the same video. And I just thought, wow, like when else have we ever seen a player, and I've never seen Crosby or Ovechkin in person or Lemieux or Gretzky or any of them, but I'm trying to think of any other athlete where you can just say, okay, I know something's going to happen right away, start filming, and within 30 or 60 seconds, you get it all. Do you ever ask yourself or pinch yourself and ask yourself, or I'm using the wrong term here, think to yourself no, that in 20 years when you're broadcasting on Hockey Night in Canada – you will look back on this and say, that was amazing. Well, Brandon, I really do appreciate the high praise that in 20 years I'll, I'll be calling Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night. You betcha. That's, that's what I'm here for. As, as it is for Connor Bedard to be playing on Hockey Night in Canada and being the premier name and player that everybody is not only coming to the rink to see, but also to turn the TV on and watch. And with, with Connor, like I, I talked about, these elite players just seem to elevate their game, rise to the occasion when the moment matters most, whether that's time Mike Sillinger like he did earlier this year for the most overtime goals in franchise history, and he could easily pass that record this year, and he probably will. He's had a couple of chances, but he's came up short. Whether it's scoring four goals in a game, the fourth being the overtime winner in a 7-6 overtime victory over the Moose Jaw Warriors on January 1st, his first game back from the canceled World Juniors, that's one as well. You look at all the moments that Connor Bedard has had here in the Queen City, and there are some that the fans should remember. And this is why I say it. Rob Vanstone wrote a really nice personal column in the Leader Post today, which was published about we should not be trying to push him out of the city. We should be cherishing that he's here, that we have this player to watch. Now, as far as myself goes, um, I pinch myself 
maybe every week or so that I even have the opportunity to be around just a fine gentleman because he's just such a respectful kid and he's so good with his teammates. And, and I don't know, he doesn't like when I say this, but I've been talking about it since last year. I'm a big fan of the last dance. I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan. And I love Kobe Bryant. I have his jersey hanging in my room. And I love watching videos of Kobe Bryant, how he went about his business, his teammates talking about him. And to me, I see a lot of Conor Bedard in those two individual athletes. Now, I'm not saying Conor Bedard is, is, is a mean person like, say, a lot of people said those two guys were. He's very respectful. He's very nice. But he is just so competitive, and he works extremely hard. Kobe Bryant, the story is he used to shoot a, a, a thousand baskets a day Right? You had to drag him off the court. You'd have to pull him by the neck to get him off the court. It's the same thing with Conor Bedard. You have to drag him off the ice. He shoots a thousand pucks a day because he is just that, like he just wants to improve so much. And that's what I've seen being around him. And as far as it goes for myself, it kind of motivates me to be at my best, not only every broadcast, but every single day to try to improve and get better because I see someone like Conor Bedard who's already great in his own right trying to get better. And so I look at myself in the mirror and I go, hey, like, I know that I'm, I, I'm like, I know I'm good at what I do, but there's still room for improvement. There's still ways to get better because I look at an athlete like Conor Bedard, who's just so elite and he's still looking at different ways to improve. So that's where I kind of pinch myself in that way. And that's why I just think I, I'm so blessed. Like, like sometimes I do take it for granted, Brennan, that I'm even around this person and around this player and I get to watch him play. But um, I think sometimes you just have to sit back and just remind yourself that you just you're in this position that you're in. Stop and smell the roses, they call that. Yeah. Uh, 64 points in 28 games. There haven't been many games where Connor has gone pointless. One of them was the first game of the season, which I happen to do on Access Communications. So my question to you, and I'm putting you on the spot, is there any other game that he's gone pointless, or is that the only one? This year, it's just been the one game. He has gone 27 <laughs> consecutive games with at least a point. And as uh, was talked about on TSN last night with James Duffy, in which Bedard joined them uh, on the panel, um, they asked him, has there been any sort of close calls? The one close call was final two minutes of overtime. Bedard, top, top of the slot, dishes it off to Suze Delev in a 6-5 overtime win for the Pats against the Rockets on the road last Tuesday. And Suze Delev just wires it home. And um, I had an opportunity to kind of laugh about it with some of the guys after the game saying, hey, Susie, you, you extended Bedard's point streak. And he said, yeah, I think most of the guys were, were, were excited to see Connor's point streak extend. Then Susie the left gets the goal. So, no, that was, that was definitely nice to see there. And that was a close call. Well, I, I promise you and Connor and the Pats, I won't do any more games on Access this year because it didn't work out for Connor in the one game I, want you to I come did back. broadcast. Hey, um, the other, just one last thing, 60 seconds or less, because I know we're tight for time. Uh, Coach Paddock, well, not just Coach Paddock, nobody had a lot of fun the last couple of years with COVID and shortened schedule. Yeah. And uh, John had the, uh, the bout. And I'm really, really grateful to John for telling his story because I felt like there were some, and I'm not going to name names, who maybe weren't taking the COVID crisis seriously and treating it as fake news. And I felt like John telling his story kind of gave it balance for everybody. Um, he didn't look like he was having a whole lot of fun. And I can't imagine doing that job was a whole lot of fun last year or the year before. I'm putting you a little bit on the spot. You can answer this question any way you choose. And maybe this is a better question addressed to John directly. Is he having more fun this year? I think John Paddock just has so much passion for hockey in the game that he has fun every time he comes to the rink and every time he gets to go on the bench because he truly cares about the development of the players. 
and about the Regina Pats Hockey Club and about getting his team back in the playoffs, which is why, as he has stated many times, whether it's been the leader post or on seat 620 CTRM or with the Kamloops media last week, that he does not intend to move Connor Bedard. In fact, he has said he will not move Connor Bedard, and Connor Bedard has said that he will not move him. So I think we just need to move past all that stuff. Maybe that side of things hasn't been very enjoyable for John Paddock, but I can tell every time that I'm with him, not only on the bus, but in the hotel and around the rink, that um, he's happy to be back behind the bench because um, I've talked to him about this before. He's truly grateful to be still coaching now in his 39th year as a coach or GM in either pro or major junior hockey. And, uh, no, he doesn't take it for granted. And, uh, no, he's, he's been a treat to be around. And uh, I think the Pats are lucky to have him. Yeah, and um, you know what? I give him a lot of credit for finally saying enough is enough. And and let's be honest, Dante, a good number of the media does work for other teams, and sometimes they are indirectly trying to tamper. And, you know, I, I support the freedom of the press, so to speak, but I also support John's right to say enough. It started here, it ends here, and I'll just leave it at that. Hey, listen, this has been fun. Have a couple great calls this weekend, okay? Yeah, and make sure to all the fans listening, Teddy Bear Toss game is this Saturday against the Calgary Hitmen. It should be a really exciting game. Are you going to throw one? Yeah, uh, well, I'm actually looking at my office right now. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different stuffed toys that Kelly Rempel and myself, who have the call on Saturday night, are going to throw on the ice when the Regina Pats score that goal. Dante and the Silver Fox will keep you in suspense to see what gets hurled from the press box onto the ice <laughs> when the Pats get that first goal. Thanks, Dante. You got it, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Okay, that is Dante DeCaria, the award-winning play-by-play broadcaster of the Regina Pats, who uh, Preston Krekwich and I helped move he and his eight reptiles from his apartment <coughs> to his new house that he picked up. Time to break. It's the Sports Cage on 620. Details. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Time for the sports ticker for Nick's service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. It's official. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have signed head coach Mike O'Shea to a three-year contract extension that will keep him with the Blue Bombers through 2025. Uh, his record, 82-58 and 7-4 and and in the postseason since being hired by the club in December of 2013. And uh, he is tied for the 14th winningest head coach in CFL history. It had been reported that he had re-signed and then maybe not official. Now it's official and it's a done deal. Um, Chris Jones getting the band back together again in Edmonton. Hiring Rough Rider offensive coordinator, former Rough Rider offensive line coach, I should say, Stephen Sorrells for the same job there. Sorrells spent the last five seasons with the Rough Rider sandwiched around the uh, pandemic. And Rough Rider running back Jamal Morrow says he would be thrilled to see Kelly Jeffrey named the offensive coordinator. He seems to be the odds-on favorite. But as we heard from our three-down nation friend John Hodge a little bit earlier in the show, don't rule out Pete Costanza coming in and taking the job as well. Uh, Thursday night football tonight, and we will go there uh, shortly, or I should say in the 6 o'clock hour. The Los Angeles Rams at 3-9 and nine hosting the Las Vegas Raiders at 5-7. and seven. Ugh, But a trip to Los Angeles would be a lot of fun anyways. That's the sports ticker for Nick's service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781 10 
77. Brendan McGuire and uh, Colson Schulz taking you through on a Thursday. Quickly, before we go to this thing that uh, Ballsy put together for us, would you trade Bedard? I wouldn't because I get the privilege of listening to most of Dante's calls because I've done most of them this year. And anytime I hear Bedard has the puck, I'm on the edge of my seat. And you can't get that entertainment value really easily, especially in junior hockey, right? So I think from the entertainment of value alone, you got to keep him. But then he's got like 60% of our points this year. Just so just the offensive factor is ridiculous for him. It, that elevates the rest of the team. And as, if you're elevating the team that way, we're going to make the playoffs this year. I'm fairly certain of that, which is going to be experience for the rest of the team. The rest of the team is really young. They can use that playoff experience to get better. So I think when you look at it from the bigger picture and like I'm a sports fan, I don't know my sports to the level that Paddock is going to know. None of us do. Yeah, exactly. But when I look at it from the big picture like that, I say, no, it's a no brainer. Don't trade him. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I Early in the year, I wasn't sure, but the more I think about it, I'm with you on that. I love the fact that the WHL changed the rules where you can't trade. And this is what I hate about the WHL. This is a whole other ball of wax, but <laughs> I think the age range shouldn't be 16 to 20. It should be like 18 to 21 because we're talking about athletes, players, coaches, like they're commodities. Yeah. And that's okay. When, when we're dealing with athlete or sorry with adults, I'm not okay with it when we're dealing with minors, and that's what makes me a little uncomfy with that discussion with somebody like Connor Bedard, who's 17 years old. Yeah. And and Rob Vanstone had a great line that sticks with me. He said they could get 10 Bantam draft picks, none of them will ever be as good as Connor Bedard, and I just worry that people here won't celebrate him until yeah. he's gone. It's like Toronto with Doug Flutie. They couldn't draw fleas when he was winning championships with the, the Argos. Yeah. He goes to the NFL and they talk about Flutie all the time. It's like enjoy him while he's here because once he's gone, he's gone. And exactly. if we can push that out a few months, then I'm on board with that. Okay, uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, our regular Thursday check-in with Glenn Suter. But right now, an edition of Good Crap for Christmas with our very own Michael Ball. All right, Ballsy here in L.A., but my mind's back a little bit in Saskatchewan, of course, with uh, Branson and Pete Pascoe. Thanks to them for uh, doing the show. Uh, we've got a good crap for Christmas, so that we're moving around town in support of the Sophia House Women's Shelter. Uh, you get it at your business. You raise a minimum of $25, and then you call Curtis over at Carrie's moving. He's really the brawn and the brains behind this thing, and he's moving it around town. I was at the Mercury Cafe where they raised the money, thanks to them, and now it's at Shannon's Pub. If you'd like the toilet, please email me at ball at harvardharvardmedia.com or you can direct that on Twitter or Facebook and we'll get that uh, toilet out to your place of business, raising money for the Sophia House Women's Shelter for necessities and Christmas gifts for those fleeing domestic violence. Really worthwhile uh, service in our community that flies under the radar, you know, with anonymity being a big part of what they do. And thanks to Camp Sebastian and a great gang over at Bronco Plumbing and Heating for help with this venture. All the in LA back. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. So 
Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Brendan McGuire and Colson Schultz with you on the cage. And coming up a little bit later, we'll have our regular Thursday check-in with Glenn Suter. And we're going to go live to... SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California to tee up tonight's Thursday nighter between the Rams and the Raiders. Zinger and Ballsy are there live on location. We've got Gloria live on location. We've got Ballsy and Zinger live on location. But before we do that, we will go out to Southeast Saskatchewan and talk a little SJHL with the voice of the Esteban Bruins, Nolan Cowell. You've heard him on this station doing U of our Rams play-by-play. He's done some Regina Thunder play-by-play, Pats play-by-play, and he's kind of like me in the fact, jack of all trades, master of none, but I think Nolan masters the trades a little bit better than I do. Nolan, the Bruins, four games over 500. Talk to me. Who are some of the stars that our listeners should know about who have been carrying the load in Esteban this year? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brendan. Uh, well, it's been a little bit of a different year here uh, in SMN, obviously with the championship that was won last spring, but uh, this team's still four games over 500 right now. A few guys that, that have really jumped out to me, Brendan. Cam Hurdlicka in net, he was the backup last year, and he is the guy this year. He's played a ton of hockey. Um, you know, he's been their MVP for me so far. I don't think they're 18 and 14 without Cam, so he's been great. Um, you know, on the back end, Alexa Babic, who's a returnee from last year, along with Alex Blanchard, who's got major junior experience, that pairing, I think, has been... Uh, as good as any uh, in the SGHL this year. So um, I think this team was kind of built from the from the back out. Their defense core has been strong really all year. And then, you know, they've got a couple newcomers, too, that have made an impact up front. Owen Barrows had good moments this year. Jag Pangura is really coming into his own uh, as an 18-year-old. So I'd say it's a mix of some of, the, some of the returning guys and then some of the newcomers, particularly up front, that have kind of driven the bus so far for this Bruins team. Very different situation with the Bruins this year compared to last year when they were hosting the national championship and I remember because so much had been cancelled in the years before there was probably some worry about that. How big of a relief do you think it was for the locals when we realized there wasn't going to be a health restriction, the tournament was going to go ahead as planned and the Bruins had the playoff run that we all wanted them to? I think it was a huge relief. I, I uh, I think it became clear fairly early last season that it was going to be a quote-unquote normal event and that's what all the organizers and kind of the local committee and the volunteers had hoped for and that's what they got that was a fantastic event uh, it was a special season here Brendan I felt really lucky to be a part of it because I think if you talk to fans here longtime fans of the team people that have been involved with this organization last year was special I mean I don't know if any year even maybe in the team's history would compare to it just with the way they won the the, the finals the seven game thriller against the Flin Flon Bombers winning game seven at home at Affinity Place that's a night not a lot of people will forget obviously the national championship didn't go as they had hoped but I think last year's group was, was a special team with with all the recruiting they did and all the guys who who had major junior experience um, it was just a, a team that was built to win from the start and, and they delivered so it was uh, it was a great year on and off the ice for the organization last year, and uh, like I said, it, it's one that, that will stay in the minds of people here for a long time. 
My last year in the SJHL was Jason Tatarnik's first year in the SJHL. He was an assistant coach brought in by Dean Brockman. He came from Dryden, and everybody talked about how Dryden was just not on the same level. Some of those leagues in Ontario were just nowhere near what you get in Western Canada. And he went back to the Maritimes. He's bounced around everywhere before he finally landed in Estevan before this tournament. What is his biggest challenge as the head coach GM fighting the hangover from a year that they had last year? Well, Brendan, I think it's just the fact that there's been so so much turnover to the roster. You know, last year's team was was so much was so heavy on the twenty year olds and everyone knew all along that you know those guys wouldn't be back and, and the core nucleus of the team wouldn't be back. So I think there was always gonna be a, a, a huge turnover with this roster coming into this year and there was. Um, I think another challenge was the fact that he lost a couple guys that he was relying on coming back. Kalen Fitzpatrick went to the Brooks Bandits. Keegan Little left to go to Briarcrest College and we just <laughs> learned yesterday that Keegan's actually coming back to the team uh, in the new year which is a huge boost to this group but I think overall it was just the turnover and, and I think Junior A you know it's such a mixed bag because last year's team was very tight in the locker room and I think that's a big reason why they won and I think when you're dealing with 17 to 20 year old kids I think that locker room chemistry is so important and I don't think every team necessarily has that cohesion that they would like in, in their dressing rooms behind the scenes that people don't see and I think that has a direct impact on wins and losses so I think just rebuilding that dressing room was one of his challenges this year, this year too but I think four games over 500 as we approach the Christmas break I think the coaching staff's happy with that and I think this team's right about where a lot of people expected they would be Esteban Bruin broadcaster Nolan Cowell joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline here on the Sports Cage on the Source 620 CKRM. Nolan, I don't have the breakdown in front of me of new guys to returning players, but I've always thought in these kind of situations, a lot of the onus is on the new guys to be hungry enough to get through the lulls in October, November, December. Is that the case with this team as well? Uh, yeah. No, I, I think so. I think, like I say, I think it's a, it's a mix of... of you know, new and returning guys. Um, I think there there are the leadership group is in place from last year, Brendan. Like you look at a guy like Cade Runke, he's the captain this year. He's been good. Um, you know, he's been scoring all year. They lost Cody Davis to a uh, a broken ankle a few weeks back, and that's a big loss because Cody's a local kid and and he's part of that leadership group as well. Uh, Alexa Babic's and uh, a returnee, another part of that leadership group. So I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix of uh, of the, some of the returning guys from last year and and some of the new guys. Alex Blanchard certainly a leader, and he, he's in his first year uh, here in the SGHL. And you know, just I, I think the last two nights, Brendan, you know, playing the Kindersley Clippers. Here in Estevan, it, it was freezing cold here. Tuesday, Wednesday night, smaller crowds during the week. You're playing the last place team. Those are games that are hard to get up for, but the Bruins still found a way to get four points against the Clippers, which they badly needed when you look at the standings and, and the games in hand that some of the teams around them have on the Bruins. So I think you know the fact that they won these last two games is a testament to the fact that they are dialed in and they are focused at the task at hand. And I think the you know the leadership group. 
However, that has developed over the last few months is, is a big reason for that. I mentioned earlier in the show that I was in Milestone last weekend and saw Curtis Joseph speak, and he was awesome. Like, he gave a great, like, you couldn't find a better guest. And I think that there were a couple guys at our table who came from Esteban. I don't remember their names. They were big Bruin fans. They just wanted to see Cujo speak. And he talked about being a nobody who no scouts cared about. He came out to Wilcox when he was 20 years old, and a tumbleweed blew past him while he was doing his tour of the town. He's like, is this for real? Am I really? doing this and it all worked out for him and he went on to have a, a superstar uh, studded career in the National Hockey League but the reason I bring all that up is uh, some one fan asked him what was it like what was the best rivalry was it the Battle of Alberta because he had played with Edmonton and he said mm, it was always there but for it to be a rivalry both teams have to be good. When I was in Esteban, Esteban Weyburn was a white hot rivalry. I remember the Bruins had been very up and down. The Red Wings had been really, really good for so many years under Dwight McMillan. But the Bruins built for one season when Weyburn was hosting the national championship. And that year at the start was a disaster for Weyburn. So it was just this wonderful feeling, right, that the Bruins were going to get back at them and win the national championship in their arena. When I look at the standings, I see that the Red Wings are not very good or they don't look very good. Back in the summer, um, I was an unpaid player agent, in quotes, for a family friend, trying to find him a place to play. And the general consensus that I got from GMs around the league was that Weyburn had been a dumpster fire, but they thought Cody Mapes had gone in there and fixed things up. Is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing signs of progress there in Weyburn? Um, y- you know, it, I think, I think they've, they've still struggled the last couple seasons on the ice. Uh, Brendan, I know last year was a rebuilding year for them, um, and I think there, the expectations. And I'm not there every day, so I, you know I can't give you too much insight there. But I think the expectations were higher this year, and, uh, and they just they have still continued to struggle for this year for the most part when you look at their record. Um, so I think they're still a work in progress. Um, I think it would be great if if you know Weyburn, um could improve and, and that rivalry could be rekindled because the rivalry of late has been a little bit one-sided uh, in favor of the Estevan Bruins. Um, so I, you know, I think I think the Wings are still kind of finding their way right now. They've made a lot of roster moves, um, you know, over the last couple seasons as well. Uh, there's a couple guys I like, Daza Mitchell and Ned. I've always liked. Um, Ty Mason's another guy who's been impressive at times, but um, yeah, I, I think I think they're still finding their way. And like I say, the the, the Bruins have kind of dominated their division the last couple of years, and they're right at the top again this year. It's been what, the weakest division in the league the last couple of seasons, but I think it would be fun. I mean, that Highway 39 rivalry, even with Weyburn struggling, they still played the Bruins tough at times last year, and there's some fun nights. So if Weyburn can improve, that rivalry could definitely uh, be rekindled because, as you alluded to, it, it's uh, there's a lot of passion between the two. Uh, fan bases and it's been that way for a long time the Balford North Stars have yet to lose in regulation through 26 games this season I'm trying to remember another season similar to that maybe the 0405 London Knights who I think had the same thing going through 31 games um, I know that Ballsy had Braden Clamosco on the show earlier why are they so good what is it about the North Stars why are they so dominant 
Oh, yeah, and we've seen them a lot, Brendan, because we were up there twice, and Battleford has been here, I believe, twice. So I think the Bruins and Stars have met four times already, if I'm not mistaken. Um, did they, three, did they, three, did they crank out any of the shootout, the shootout loss or the overtime losses, or were they all regulation losses for us to them? They were all, I'm just trying to remember, I believe they were all regulation losses uh, for the Bruins. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that, it's just a, it's a powerhouse team. Um, they roll four lines. They're very deep up front. I think the biggest reason for me is Josh Cote in net. I remember I saw him at the showcase back in September, and I was thinking to myself, this guy is ex- an excellent goaltender. I believe he came from the BCHL. So I think Cote is a, a big part of their success. The other thing, too, uh, when I interviewed Braden Klamosko, their head coach, back on one of those road trips earlier in the season, he seemed like he had a very good perspective because the Bruins were coming in there on a winning streak, and and uh, he just basically told me, "Look, uh, right now Estevan's the hottest team in the league. You know, we're trying to match up with them." Was the was the mindset for his group going into that game? At the end of the night, it was a pretty lopsided win for Battleford. So I think they have very good perspective. They haven't really, you know, from what I've gathered, they haven't really gotten too far ahead of themselves. And what they're doing this year is impressive. It's it's really unparalleled right across the country. And I think it's good for the SGHL in the sense that it's it's given the league more exposure. They've been the number one ranked team for months now. And I believe they're going to bring that streak into the Christmas break. You know, they only have a few more games to go. And I think it's good for the league, and it's a fun streak to follow. I think it will be snapped at some point. The law of averages suggests it will be, uh, but it's been fun. And, and like I say, we've got I've gotten a live look at them a few times, and they're an impressive group. And obviously, their expectations now are sky high. Yeah, well, it'd be fun to see them carry the streak into the break. It'd be even more fun for uh, your Bruins and my Bruins to snap that streak maybe at some point along the way in the finals. I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but never underestimate the heart of a champion, and the Bruins have enough of those in their locker room if they're going to make a run into May. Hey, this has been fun time, as always, of the enemy, and uh, what games do you have this weekend? So we've got Melfort coming in here tomorrow night, Friday night. That'll be the final home game here at Affinity Place before the Christmas break. Mustangs are playing very good hockey. They came in and bre- came in and beat the Bruins a couple times recently, so that'll be in Estevan's mind. And then the Bruins will finish up with a three-game road trip next week in Melville, in Yorkton, and then against the Notre Dame Hounds uh, prior to the extended Christmas break this year. Beauty, sounds like a busy weekend for you. We'll, uh, we'll let you take some time and uh, prepare for the weekend. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, Brendan. Okay, very good. Nolan Cowell, the play-by-play voice of the Estevan Bruins, and if you want to find his work or his broadcast, follow the links from the Estevan Bruins website, which you can find by Googling it or even from the SJHL website. Time to break. It is a Thursday edition of the Sports Cage on the Source 620. Evans. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Thursday edition of the Sports Cage continues. Brendan McGuire along with Colson Schultz. And momentarily, we will do our Thursday check-in with our good friend Glenn Suter. Talk a little bit about Jamal Morrow, about Stephen Sorrells, Chris Jones, and the Montreal Alouettes situation. And I also wanted to get his thoughts on some of the challenges that players have to go through once their career ends. Because as we know, the season just ended and there are a lot of players who won't get another shot at it. This edition of the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. Uh, We do have a text that I should read here on the text line. Look at me multitask, juggling stuff. On the Capital GMC text line, 
Eli says about the Toronto fans. I mentioned earlier, they never celebrated Doug Flutie when he was an Argonaut, but they were more than happy to claim him as their own once he was starring in the NFL. And Eli says that's because Toronto fans just watch on TV. They're too lazy to go to the games and spend money. Thank you for the text, Eli. And you can chime in on the Capital GMC text line, 306-936-6262. Or if you want to join in on the conversation... Toll free, you can call us at 1-866-767-0620. Also later on in the show, we are going to check in with our friends Michael Ball and Sean Kleisinger, who are at SoFi Stadium ready for the Thursday nighter between the Los Angeles Rams and the Las Vegas Raiders. Two not very good football teams, but much cooler story that they're at that amazing stadium. And there's a lot of magic in audio, I'm very partial towards radio. If I do a live game broadcast, I'd much rather do it on radio than on television because you really do get to paint a picture and be the star. And But audio does not do justice to the visuals that they have in Los Angeles at that new park that cost almost $5 billion. But Ballsy, I know, will do his best. Colson, I want your take on something that Pete Pasco asked Rob Anstone about on Monday. We had a nice long segment about the Bedard thing and John Paddock's testy exchange with the Kamloops media. And Pete asked the question, why aren't people going to the games? It's still a great question, isn't it? And I know the Pats took all kinds of heat. Um, CTV did a great story about their pricing. Mm -hmm. And I thought some of it was deserved, deservedly so. Um, I don't think their pricing is so offensive as much as the fact there's just no kid pricing. I think that that bothers people more than anybody in the fact there just didn't seem to be a lot of family options. There's inflation. Why do you think people aren't coming to the games? Um, Well, I haven't listened or I haven't read that specific article, but I remember when... uh, listening to Dante while they were on the road tour there, he was talking about the pricing for some of those games. And some of those games were a couple hundred dollars a ticket. And I was blown away. And I, yeah, look up the past tickets. It's like 40 bucks. And I'm like, compared to BC, yeah, it's nothing. And if I wasn't sitting here putting the games on the air, I'd probably be going and catching a game or two in the year. But yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's like pricing and inflation everyone's going to say that nowadays Um, I think that's part of the reason but yeah I think a little bit I don't know I think a little bit of marketing maybe because it doesn't feel like I felt I don't know when I was a kid I felt like the Pats were a lot more in the community and like just was more aware of it when I was a kid as compared to now and so I don't know if that's changed a little bit or something but I feel like I'm bombarded with it with with the uh, Pats a little bit less which I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you certainly don't want to oversaturate yourself in the market or something. But yeah, I feel like it's less talked about or maybe I'm just listening in the wrong areas. Well, I think just be me. I think what you're referring to is uh, what's come up since iPhones and just all Mm -hmm. the clutter now that we have that we never used to have. And so it's a lot harder to bombard you or any other consumer through all that clutter than it used to be. So maybe, maybe that's to blame in leagues. It's not just a Pat issue. The, you know, the WHL I think faces this issue universally. Any league that's not the big leagues faces this issue because we all have such good access to NFL, to NHL, MLB, but that doesn't mean that we can't still have successful enterprises at these levels. I would argue that it's more of an issue of taking him for granted. And what I mean by that is I feel like if Connor Bedard was a member of, say, the Portland Winterhawks, and they're coming through Regina, that place would be packed because it would be the one night of the year. But because 
you know, his introduction came in, I don't want to say with a bang, but kind of a whimper because even though he played so well in the bubble and the hub and all the rest of it, people didn't get to go out and see him. People haven't yeah. been able to go out and enjoy him. I feel like if it had been a normal entry, that's how it would be. But by the time people can actually come out and enjoy this young, amazing athlete that we have, we've known about him for a while. The novelty is gone. Yeah. And, 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 and the talk has shifted more to, well, what's going to happen next? Like, are they going to trade him? And I, I think what will help is if they keep him, and I really do hope they do keep or that he stays and wants to stay. All indications are that he does. That when we get past the trade deadline in early January, that will all be a thing of the past because there won't be speculation about what comes next. We know where he is. We know he'll be here. And I think you'll see a lot better environment at the arena. I agree with that. Yeah. So on that note... Um, we will check in with Glenn Suter on our regular Thursday edition of the Sports Cage. Time to break. We'll be back with more on The Source 620. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive a free $25 sports bet. That is for spreads.ca. Time for us to go out on the Western Pizza Hotline for our regular Thursday visit. For quality tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's it's time for press coverage as former writer greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Rider Nation. From the balmy confines of his West Coast abode, Glenn Suter joins us. And uh, Glenn, I'm happy to report that we finally put you on in the right time slot because, of course, I guest hosted on Monday. And the way we communicate nowadays, we have so many different ways. There's an email that tells me, yeah, Suits is on between 4.30 and 5.30. Then another one at 5.30. And then I send a text and Zinger says, he's on at 5.30. And we already had you on the air. So we had you on an hour early last time. We got it right. It only took me two episodes in a week of Ballsy and Zinger being out of town to finally get the show organized properly. So, oh, no. <laughs> hey, it's no problem. And you know what? You know what? I'm going to blame it on. I'm going to blame it on uh, the fact that we still here on the West Coast change our clocks. Thank an you. Hour at daylight saving, we just need to stop that and just leave it be, and then we would all be locked in all year long. That's the change that throws everybody off, and it can be months later after daylight saving time. But anyway, I have to triple check it all the time too when I'm looking at text. Remember, you're three thirty. Okay, that's three thirty your time, or no, 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 that's five thirty your time. So I have to do the math. Oh, yeah, because sometimes we're two hours different. Sometimes we're one hour different. That's a good point. Exactly. I, never, I had never thought of that. You yeah. know, when I, I, I lived for a year in Windsor, Ontario, and I got to be a low-level, well, I worked with the Windsor Spitfires, and I got to be a low-level glorified tape collector at Detroit Lions practices. And I remember I had, because I'm from Saskatchewan, I've never had to do this daylight savings thing before, and I remember we had to move our clocks back. I think it was back in the fall is what you do, and I couldn't figure mm-hmm. it out on my car. And, like... What button do you hit? Danged if I could figure it out. And then my girlfriend comes to visit me, and it's about three months in, and finally she shows me how to fix it just in time to have to 
flip it back. But anywho, a um, few things I wanted to go over with you. Uh, you know, the first thing that jumped into my head when, when thinking about this segment was the fact that the season just ended. And what gets lost in all of that, and we, we heard the news of Brian Burnham's retirement, is that so many players will never get to play again. Like, this is the end of the road because the system just cycles players out. And the transition from being programmed to be a football player almost your entire life and all of a sudden just having it end. And and so often we talk about, we. it's almost like we lecture players that, well, you need to work in the offseason. You need to prepare for your life after football. Now, I know that um, both you and I have experience working at another radio station. That's a four-letter word that I will never say on the air here. But y- you were able to transition into that life after football. And I remember talking about that. And Mike Abumeshrek said, you're sounding very demeaning, almost like you're talking down to the athletes. If you're going to be an elite athlete, you need to train year round. You really need to focus on it. And it's not that easy. And I used to think that these players were all overpaid. And I don't think that way anymore. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. I mean, I'm sure you must have had some teammates who you saw struggle to make that transition. Yeah, you know, I think it is. It, it's happening less and less all the time. You know, I think sort of the younger generations and smartphones and, and understanding there's a bigger world and, you know, and, and sort of planning for the the uncertainty of professional sports. If You know, no matter what sport you're in or how much you're making, it could be over in a day. It could be over in a split second. Um, you know, one shift on the ice and your knee goes the wrong way. Knock on wood, it doesn't happen to anybody. But it, it, that's that can be what, what happens, and it's it could be a complete accident, and that's it for your career. So I, I think, you know, back in the old days, there was more of an issue of players that just didn't look beyond the you know the the next four or five years and they felt like they could play for a decade and what is the average for for, for professional football players on either side of the border i think it's like four years yeah I, maybe I, even less i've heard three and a half but yeah you you, you yeah. could be right yeah yeah three and a half years so so really when you think about it it's you know this is this is why when i talk to high school kids that are looking at the possibility of of college football careers, either in Canada or in the United States, and and always emphasizing that, you know, make sure that when you talk to schools that are recruiting you, that you are listening to the academic side of the discussion, not just what kind of sports facilities they have, what kind of locker room they have, their field and all that stuff, or or their history in football. Look at look at the schools based on education and make sure you emphasize that because the, the chances of, of advancing and making a living in pro sports are so slim. You know, my, both my kids were, were singers and performers. It's the same scenario for them. Less than 1% actually can make a living off it. So, you know, I, I think as the generations get smarter and they, and they have more access to communicating with each other and, and seeing more in real time immediately on your phone and things as to what possibilities are out there. Um, it's, it's getting less and less, but for a lot of players, it is a very difficult transition and you know why? And no one talks about this, but the reason it's such a tough transition is because your commitment to playing pro football. And, and this isn't the same for all sports, but it is for football. 
if you want to play pro football, you have got to be completely committed. All your chips in the middle of the table, training all the time, all year long, and be mentally so focused on it that you you almost have locked the door to broadening your horizon with other things in the off season or other jobs that you could do part time or things like that 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 would you know that would be part of that transition. You you lock you almost lock it down that I have to be so mentally and physically committed to football to be successful that it doesn't allow for any time to do those other things. And I, I think that's where the transition can be difficult for a lot of players. Chatting with Glenn Suter on the Western Pizza Hotline here on the Sports Cage on the Source 620 CKRM. Is there anything the league can really do about that? I mean, funds are always in short supply to come up with transition programs, etc. Um, obviously, uh, our great Canadian Football League can't pay players and, and have the same resources that they do south of the border. But in your mind, is there something the league could do to help those players transition into life after football that they're not doing right now? Well, I, I don't think it's that they're not doing it now. I think it's, you know, obviously a lot of these ideas are, are always tied to, you know, how much financial wherewithal you have. I mean, and, and, and what, how much you can allocate to off-season uh, money for players. But, and I know that both the Players Association and the league work really hard to find innovative ways to, to educate the player, even the, the young guy, the rookie, the 23-year-old, the 24-year-old, to educate him that it won't last forever and that you should always be thinking about what you're going to do when this, when this career of football is over, whether that's three years or ten. So there, there is always a, a real you know, push from the league and the Players Association to educate players. Now, where I think it, there's room for growth in that regard would be in keeping all the players, including the players from the United States, in your city and finding ways through working in partnership with corporations, working in partnership with speaking engagements and and arrangements and different companies that that do that, um, that will kind of be the broker in, in those transactions. And then try to keep your athletes in your community, um, you know, they, they got to go home for holidays and things, but, but continuing to work as, as revenues grow, and we all hope that they grow and expect them to grow with gambling and everything that they've talked about. Well, I hope that there is a good percentage of allocation going to that. And, and two, because it's, it's more than just the post-career livelihoods. It's, it's also, you know, when they're in the community and invested they can they can then be you know part of understanding what makes that province and that city that you're living in tick, and that you can you can take that passion out onto the field with you. Almost every city now has indoor facilities, you know, indoor fields. It's not like you have to be outside in in forty below or thirty below trying to run routes. You can train indoors in every city in this country. So. Uh, that's where I think if, if there if there could be more, they're they're doing it. I'm not sure at what level they're doing it, but they are trying to do it. I would like to see as much as possible in that regard. Keep keep all the players in the cities, find work and partnerships with them, have some extra income for them that's outside of their CFL contract even, and then they become part of those communities like George Reed and 
a lot of great players have in the past. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know the Riders have probably done a better job of that than anybody. There was team health for years, which yep. I know wasn't quite the same thing. But um, after the Riders won the 2007 Grey Cup, I remember having a visit with John Chick and him telling me how the Riders had opened up a lot of opportunities for him to stay here year-round and work. I mean, he's not here at the end of his career, but but the point is, it um, hopefully that, mm-hmm. that level of thinking can help players make that transition. Um, hey, Jamal Morrow uh, signed his one-year extension, and uh, we've talked a lot on this program about how he and Mario Alford were probably the sunshine on a uh, cloudy season in Ryderville. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that's always, I guess, bothered me a little bit, especially since the pandemic, is the play calling. And what I mean by that is so often we talk about the National Football League being the best league, right? And they're always talking about analytics and, and all the rest that goes with it. And one day on the post-game show on the Ryder Roundtable, it was Wes Cates who was going over the numbers, like Andrew Harris for the Argos, I think, had 10 carries that night. Somebody else had 12 carries. Uh, Kadeem Carey had 12 carries. Jamal Morrow, when I look at his stats from the year gone by, he's averaging almost five and a half yards a carry, which was the golden rule even back in the day in, in the Canadian Football League. Mm-hmm. And and he he averages, um, I'm going to say, 10 and a half carries a game. And, and, and back in the good old days, there was an unwritten rule that if you were really committed to the run, yeah, I mean, you were in the locker room. You would have heard these discussions. You you needed 20 touches per game, or at least 15 to 20. Are, have we gotten too far away from that? Like, like it just seems to me like there's all this dink and dunk passing, and we see these really high completion percentages. And I think a big part of the problem, and, and it was the Riders' problem last year, not enough running plays. Well, you know, it's yeah. I mean, you could you got to break down game to game to kind of look at where they maybe have forgotten about the run or their tailback, and and then got into too many second and long situations where the defense now has the edge because it's all you know exotic blitzes and pass rush type of stunts that you know give give even the best offensive linemen in the in the league trouble. So. Um, yeah, but I, I think there's a couple of things that you touched on there that are important to t- discuss. One is one is that, and and it's not it's not you. I understand how how it happens all the time that we we continue to try and compare to the NFL. We're yes yes blocking, tackling, throwing, and catching is the same. That that basic fundamental you got to throw and catch it. You got to block and tackle. Those, those are the same. But after that, there are a ton of differences in the leagues. There's a ton of different of style of athletes. So, you know, part of my job as an analyst is to is to message correctly. Whereas Jamal Morrow might have had eight plays where he he took straight handoffs, but there were another twelve plays where he caught that little swing pass. That little swing pass in the CFL with the width of the field. If you can widen linebackers because they have slot backs that are out there and you widen the linebackers defensively to try and cover down those slot backs, there is a lot of space for your tailback. So those little swing passes and screen passes become sort of extended runs. And, and for, for us who are communicating the game to the fans, we have to put that in the run package in Canadian football. It's different in the South. It's completely different. So let's not compare them. Let's just take our game, look at a, qu- a little swing pass to Jamal Morrow is an extended run. That's like a sweep to the, to the outside. It, it gets the tail back 
with great speed in space with the possibility of a one-on-one on a linebacker. And if that linebacker happens to be the middle linebacker, boy, you love to see your tailback in space against him. Not that they can't make the tackle, but I like the matchup with my tailback if that's the scenario. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of it. I, I, I think the teams that have been successful, if you go back and look, Winnipeg, you know, Hamilton getting to the game, um, you know, those, the teams that, that have won championships always have the tailback involved. It's my job as an analyst to make sure that I'm communicating that that doesn't mean just straight handoffs. And, and if there's only seven of those, no problem. If there's 20 touches to the tailback, then, you know, you, you have kept the defense in the box in their front seven to take care of that tailback, which should open up space for your receivers. If they overload in there, you go outside to your receivers. If they are still staying spread out and covering down receivers, you go to your tailback, you get them in space. And I, I think the Jamal Morrow signing is a great one because he is a breakaway runner, can make the big play both in the teams and offensively. So he is ideal for CFL football. Yeah, he, he's kind of that triple threat. And maybe uh, some of us uh, who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with the CFL as a fan in the 90s are still stuck in the 90s. <laughs> and I just need to get, get past that and be okay with a swing pass instead of just run plays. Hey, we'll take a quick time out and come back with more of Glenn Suter. You're listening to The Sports Cage on The Source 620 CK. of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. The drive was broken and the sun came out to shake the dark clouds away. The green looks brighter than it has for years. We like when it feels this way. Turn your eyes to the sky, put your hands in the air, throw your head way back and say, 11. Of the Sports Cage continues on for spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive a free $25 sports bet. Did you think that that video would still be getting played and talked about some 34 years later? <laughs> oh, I wish that would go away. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I guess it never will. I'm sure someone will play that at my funeral one day and... <laughs> Well, 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 I had an idea because if you think about it, um, I did the math on the La- Riders' last Grey Cup win, which came in 2013. And so if they don't win the Grey Cup in 2023, and there's a distinct possibility they might not, that'll be how many years between Grey Cups? 11. Mm. So the idea has popped up. What do you think? Maybe time for a remix, get some of the current players involved, maybe get Harry Skipper on a plane into Regina. Are you with me? Well, can we can we change the format to country? You maybe? can do whatever you want. It's your song. <laughs> well, maybe change it to country and bring in some actual singers, and then uh, <laughs> and then you know, and and keep in mind that that eleven is enough was eleven years out of the playoffs, right? Not not eleven years between cups, but out of the playoffs. Can you imagine, like? I didn't. I wasn't there for all eleven, but I was there for enough. And I don't know if it was three or four or five years 
in my the early part of my career where we didn't make the playoffs. And uh, I'll tell you what, that is that makes it hard for an athlete and his family. And I emphasize his family goes through it just as badly. Um, that, it's hard to live in the off season and train and just have that hanging over your head that you didn't even make the playoffs. That's uh, I did. I just I get sick to my stomach thinking about it. Yeah, just and and also maybe for now for the Ryder fans who are a little bit down in the dumps, a happy little reminder that it could always be worse. You know, this is one bad season. We're not talking about eleven years missing the playoffs. Um, just one more thing I want to talk about before we let you go, uh, K- Kelly Jeffrey. It sounds like is the odds-on favorite to get the Riders' OC job. That seems to be what we're hearing from all the insiders. Although the name Pete Costanza keeps coming up, and uh, I. Pete Costanza has a pretty good track record, at least in terms of being connected to winning and John Huffnagel in the past. One thought that popped in my head is it's okay to promote from within when you have a winning program. And I don't want to say that the Riders are, are a bad program because of one bad year. One bad year does not a bad program make. However, I grew up in the 90s, in the late 90s, when it seemed like they were promoting from within when the team wasn't doing well or bringing guys in from Ottawa, another program that wasn't doing well. Is there some merit there that maybe you give Costanza a little more consideration because he wasn't, for lack of a better term, tarnished by the debris of the disaster that was 2022 in Ryderville? Yeah, it's a great question because all of the, you know, all of what you just talked about is, part of the evaluation process clearly and and you know but i would i would say that whether you're talking about a an experienced uh possible coordinator that has been in a successful program or a young coordinator that has been involved his entire life with the canadian football league or canadian football in general at the u sports level um that has has been part of the offensive coordination for, you know, a ton of time it's on his resume. And that may mean that it's only been a short, a short stay in the CFL in the Canadian football league at the pro level. Now there is a difference. So you, you, you have to take that into consideration, but, but to me, it's, you, you really have to separate the, uh, you know, the perception of the person that you're interviewing and just look at the qualifications of the person and we won't be in those interviews. So, you know, if I'm sitting down with Pete or, or Mark Mueller or, you know, Buck Pierce or whomever it might be, I, I want to go over the X's and O's. I want to know what his plan is, how he's going to um, not fool defenses, but how he will attack defense. What is, it, what is his philosophy? If, if we get on the whiteboard and I throw up five different defenses, and he has a plan for all of them right off the top of his head. That, that to me, has more weight than, you know, the perception of a guy's resume. Uh, you know, clearly it's part of it. But you, and you have to have, I think you should have, ex, it's, it's better to have extended experience in the Canadian brand, three-down football, to me, than sometimes it is coming from a big college that you've only coached four down football because now you're going to take a year or two to learn the differences. Now, you know, if you have a team that has a year or two to go through some low times to have your coordinator or head coach understand that, you know, who you used to say that all the time was Mark Trestman in his first couple of years in Canada, 
he said, I felt like I was treading water with just my nose above the water. I was trying to learn on the fly the different nuance of Canadian football because it's different. You call plays differently. Final three minutes is different. Your offensive schemes and angles are different. So to me, it's the, the most prominent in finding a new OC, the most highest priority you should put is on his qualifications, his, his ability to be ready to draw up the X's and O's and have answers and a real plan. Give me your plan of action when we go on to the field. And I hope that discussion for every OC comes back and starts with, well, let's see who the quarterbacks are. Let's see what we have on offense, talent-wise, and let's make sure we make the offense, we coordinate the offense to fit the talent that we have, and especially at the quarterback position. So uh, I don't know if, if that clears it up, but to me, it's less about perception. It's less about even, you know, reputation almost, or fan favorites and things like that. It's more about qualifications It's more about what happens when you're on the whiteboard in that room interviewing guys and saying, what's your philosophy? How is our offense going to be a close to 500-yard offense and 30-point offense a game? How are we going to get there? What's your plan? I think what you just... If you have a good answer for that, if you have a good answer for that, you're you're in the top of my list. (laughs) I I, I think what you're touching on is um, what the great Marv Levy once said, if you listen to the fans up in row five, you'll be sitting up there pretty soon. Craig Dickinson needs to listen to himself and not worry about what the fan base thinks or what perception is when they make this hire. And hopefully um, we expect some sort of announcement probably within the next week or so, but uh, we don't know that for sure. Hey, listen, never enough time to talk football. Hashtag isn't May yet. Um, This has been fun and we'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, gentlemen. Say hi to and say hi to uh, Ballsy and and Sean down there, Zinger down there, and, and make sure they're wearing sunscreen. I we told will. them, but I want to make sure they're wearing. We will. We'll talk to them in about ten minutes. That sounds great. <laughs> okay. okay, that is the great Glenn Suter joining us here on the Sports Cage on this Thursday edition for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Time for news is next. You're listening to the Sports Cage on six twenty. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Kicking off hour three of the Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Brendan McGuire and Colson Schultz taking you through the Thursday edition of the program. Momentarily, we will head out to SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles to tee up the Thursday nighter with Michael Ball and uh, check in, see what's happening with him and Zinger during the CAA Sports Cage Sports Trip. They're taking in the two NHL and two NFL games and the entire week in Southern California. Who wouldn't want to do that? And of course, Colson and I missed out and we had to stay in Regina and enjoy this beautiful November weather. Out on the GMC, or sorry, Capital GMC text line, 
Brian wants to know why aren't people going to the games? Wake up. People can't afford to put food on the table and pay the rent, and you think they should pay a couple hundred bucks a couple times a week for a family of four to go watch the Pats play? Wake up and smell the roses, boys. Not everyone gets free tickets like you, jokers. Those are some harsh words from Brian on the Capital GMC text line, and you can chime in on the discussion as well at 306-936-6262. And uh, we should have time for a call or two at the very end. If you call us toll-free at one 767 620 Right now, we head out onto the Western Pizza Hotline to the Grand Poobah of all sports stadia, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, and join the regular host of this program, Michael Ball. Ballsy, is this the first time you've been interviewed on your own show? Uh, not the first time, but first time from SoFi. There's no doubt about that. That's the first. How long have you been at the stadium? Did you just get there? Uh, we got. We left our hotel at 2, and we got here about uh, 2 o'clock local time. And we got here about uh, half an hour ago. We've been here for about a half an hour, yeah. So traffic in L.A., even in the mid-afternoon, is pretty busy. And, uh, yeah, people are filing in here, man. It's going to be a great game. Lots of Raider black here, as you uh, might imagine. Had a few people heckle me already, telling me I should be wearing a college jersey to an NFL game. But uh, I'm wearing my Rough Rider green and white jersey. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had that once before. We went to a game in Kansas City wearing our Rough Rider jerseys, and they were making fun of us for being Jets fans. So I guess yeah. Yeah. R- R- Rider Nation is big, it's long, it's vast, it's popular, but not everybody has caught on yet, especially in Southern California. Well, I did, uh, get, a of, I did get a couple of thumbs up, uh, Brendan, so not everybody's been heckling me here. But I tell you what, man, what a stadium this is. This is unbelievable. Um, that's what... CFL! Guys, like, which one is that? I just literally just got asked what jersey that. So that's funny. Uh, this stadium, though, uh, Brendan, unbelievable, man. Uh, the scoreboard alone is $1 billion. So think about that. Take, take it, you know, what would you take? Maybe 20% of that? That's what it costs to build our stadium. Did, and that's on the scoreboard, man. Did you say $1 billion with a B for the scoreboard? One $1 billion. One billion with a B, yeah, one billion. Wow, is it worth a billion dollars? Uh, yeah, it looks like it's worth a billion dollars. <laughs> now, yeah, the, the other uh, thing about this stadium that is so uh, outstanding is everywhere. Like, if you look out to the northeast, you see downtown Los Angeles and the Hollywood sign. Uh, you could see uh, Malibu. I mean, if you have great eyesight, but Malibu out to the west. Uh, you got the Great West Forum, and the funny story about that is Steve Ballmer. On the other side of the stadium is building his uh, his Clippers new stadium for eighteen thousand. Steve Ballmer was getting into a court battle with whoever owned the Kia Forum, where the Lakers and the uh, Kings used to play, and they said you can't build the stadium that close to the fo- uh, to the Forum. We're taking you to court. So instead of going to court and fighting a lawsuit, he fought the Great Western Forum. Mm. So you're not going to court. He's building his eighteen thousand seat stadium here just uh and then then I, then I look to my left and there's the youtube theater where they have uh the uh SBs and the nfl honors and uh 
Yeah, it's an unbelievable place. Man. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, I've read that the price tag is somewhere around $4.9 billion, and even Stan Kroenke, one of the richest people on earth, uh, couldn't afford to do it himself, so he had to team up with another firm uh, that put that together. Hey, we hear a lot of stories about how stadiums, you know, gentrify the area, and I had heard a lot about how after, um, the, the forum has always been in use, the fabulous forum where the LA Kings and the, the Lakers used to play, and I know they still had concerts there, probably not as active as it used to be, but with the stadium up, did you get a chance to walk around and see the development around it and what that looks like? Uh, I haven't been around it. Uh, it's 10 minutes away from the airport. The, the man-made lake out front is pretty cool. They're going to do the archery competition at the 2028 Olympics there, which will be awesome. But no, I haven't been around. We're, <laughs> I actually was told by a few people, including John Ryan, not a great area to walk around. So no, I haven't really walked around this area. You're going right from the bus to the uh, stadium and back to the bus. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll tell you what though, this is a, if you want to put this on your uh, sports agenda, you should. We're really happy to be here with our 56 listeners of Terry uh, Chazis from CAA Travel leading the way for us. Beautiful. Very nice. I don't think you can top a trip to Los Angeles or to that brand new stadium. I'm not sure they will ever make a more fabulous palace than what they built there for the Los Angeles Rams. You know, one thing that was interesting to me was last year in the playoffs when the Niners were going into that stadium to play against the Rams on the pregame show, they said something like 60%. It was going to be like 2-1 to one, Niner fans to Rams fans. Do, do you get that vibe? I, I know yep. we're still about an hour away from kickoff. I, I don't know why that is, but but are you seeing the Raider fans outnumber the Ram fans like that? Yeah, two to one, man. It's two, it's two to one uh, for the uh, for the uh, Raiders to Ram fans. Not gonna lie to you. Um, what's an interesting thing we talked about it yesterday on the sports page a little bit, but it's worth mentioning again. Our uh, our man who uh, is running a trip, Terry Kazan. Had to buy these tickets in four different accounts for the Rams game, and they cost about $300 a ticket for the Rams game. He wow. could buy all the Chargers tickets on Sunday to, uh, to the game with one account, and they were $50 a ticket. So that wow. Was kind of a difference. Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. Well, t- I, I, I know the tickets down there have become their own stock market. My wife and I were down, and, and this is right when the Rams were, had just moved back to Los Angeles, and they were still playing in the old Coliseum, and, and they yep. weren't drawing super well that first year and a half. But this, And so I thought, okay, the, the tickets are too expensive. They're 150 U.S. each. I'll wait until game time, and they'll come down. Of course, we, it, that turned out to be America's Game of the Week. Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff. Both teams were doing really, really well, and I look, and the Price is now 250, 300, 350. So we ended up going down tailgating and not even getting into the stadium. We went all that way on our way to Disneyland and didn't even get in. You're ahead of me because you actually made it into the stadium. Hey, I, 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 I was going to ask you, they've got that big screen that you talked about. Um, I assume yeah. you guys are probably not in the front row. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But do you find that at all distracting? Like, where, where, whereabouts are you guys sitting? And do you find the screen. Is it a distraction from seeing the game happening down on the field? Well, I'm not at my seat yet, but I'm going to be sitting in Section 500, which is near the top. Uh, I don't think it'll be much of a distraction. It'll obviously help you, to, uh, save you from bringing binoculars. But I will tell you, uh, this is built so great. Uh, you're up and down, but there's not a bad seat in the house. So I think it's going to be, uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. I'm really looking forward to getting in my seat, taking some pictures and uh, checking it out. I don't know that if I... Was it on this, you know, I don't know that I paid $300 to come to this game. 
Although I guess maybe at the start of the year I might have because it was supposed to be a great game. As it turns out, the game of the week is going to be the Chargers and the Dolphins. Although we could see Baker Mayfield tonight. He might quarterback tonight for the Rams, we were told. Oh, my. Oh boy, he's cut on Monday, yeah, yeah. and he's and he might start on Thursday. So, well, hey, let, let, listen, this has been great, and uh, I don't want to take away any more of your time. You go enjoy that game, and uh, come up with some ideas that maybe the riders could do when you come back. Okay. We'll see what we can do, but thanks a lot, man, for stopping in. You're doing a great job, and uh, keep it on the rails, man. As the Raider fans are already in full throat, I better go. Uh, join the crowd with Rider Nation and Raider Nation, maybe coming together. Look after yourself. Okay, that is Michael Ball, the host of the Sports Cage and the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders doing a little NFL getaway as part of the first annual CAA Sports Cage Sports Trip. Back to wrap when we come back. This is the Sports Cage on the Source 620CK.ca. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620CKRM. Final hour of the program on this Thursday edition of the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. That's Spreads.ca. Brendan McGuire and Colson Schultz taking you through hour three of the program. And moment, or just moments ago, we chatted with Michael Ball, who is at the first annual CAA Sports Cage sports trip down in Los Angeles. And Colton, or Colson, I almost called you Colton I'm sorry people it's like people used to call me Brandon worse things than that yeah um Colson looked up where Ballsy's sitting he said he was in the 500 level and what did you what did you find yeah that's the third tier it's the it's top the, row of the that's top nosebleed row. so think about that $300 a pop for a nosebleed seat yeah <laughs> and you know and I don't want to sound unsympathetic toward people who can't you know afford tickets like to the yeah. Pats or to the riders Seems like going to a rider game is not such a bad deal if you're paying like 80 Canadian or whatever it is, and you actually sit up close. Exactly. Yeah, and I think sometimes we forget about that, where it's like our smaller market. Yeah, it's expensive for us, but if you're living in New York or Los Angeles, you're spending $300 to go watch your sports team there. So, Well, he, he was saying that the price for a Rams ticket was literally six times what the price for a Chargers ticket is in the exact same stadium, and the Chargers are probably a better team this year. Would you pay six times as much to see your favorite team over some other team that was, you know what I mean? Like if you grew yeah. up, let's say you, you're, you grew up in Angelino and you just love the Rams that much. Well, couldn't you train yourself to become a Chargers fan? I would think so, but like, like, born and bred in Saskatchewan, right? I have a, I can't cheer for anybody else. It's hard to even cheer for other people when they're. I'm trying to get the Riders into the playoffs, right? So I don't know. Of course, money's a different language, so maybe. But yeah, if it's the case of the Chargers in Los An and the Rams, where they're in the same stadium, I could probably talk myself into going to a, a Rams game that's going to be that much cheaper. Sorry, a Chargers, Chargers game. game. Yeah. yeah, wrong name there. But yeah, like that. Well, that's why a lot of people wonder if Toronto ever got a second NHL team. Would it really take off like the Leafs would? And I think the answer is no. It wouldn't no. be as popular as the Leafs would be. But the market is big enough for both, and it goes to show that in these big cities, if you have the proper venue and they can share the stadium, it can work just fine. Yeah, and, and it, it makes you wonder why the NHL doesn't have a second franchise in Toronto, and they continue to stubbornly keep this franchise in Phoenix afloat. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's, oh. 
Anywho, um, but it, I, I was going to mention just, you know, we talked a lot about Connor Bedard on this show for the last week. And, you know, early in the season, I think a lot of people hearken back to the days when Jordan Eberle was here mm-hmm. and the Pats didn't trade him away in his final season. And who knows what the Pats would have got back yeah. to, to rebuild for the future. I don't think we're in the same situation. As much as we love Jordan Eberly. Jordan Eberly was fun. He was flashy. He was not Connor Bedard. Con- yeah. c- 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 like Jordan Eberly was here. Um, consistent all-stars are up here. And then there's about 50 feet, maybe 100 feet. And then up here is where you have Connor Bedard. Yeah. Like he is literally on just such another level. Which it's, is why, which is why I don't think they should trade him. Exactly. I think they should keep him. I think they should build around him. And if they need to pivot and add other, and and people shouldn't get so upset with John Paddock by saying you could set the franchise up for many many years and you need to do that. Well, guess what? John's taking responsibility for the rebuild himself. So yeah. you know what? If if he doesn't have assets from trading Connor Bedard to build for the future, he's willing to take that on, and we should yeah. just let him take that on. And uh, as Rob Banstone said, enjoy him. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this edition of the show, and we will close it with another listen to Good Crap for Christmas. We'll let Michael Ball take it away. All right, Ballsy here in L.A., but my mind's back a little bit in Saskatchewan, of course, with uh, Brandon and Pete Pascal. Thanks to them for uh, doing the show. Uh, we've got a good crop for Christmas toy that we're moving around town in support of the Sophia House Women's Shelter. Uh, you get it at your business. You raise a minimum of $25, and then you call Curtis over at Jerry's moving. He's really the brawn and the brains behind this thing, and he's moving it around town. I was at the Mercury Cafe where they raised some money, thanks to them, and now it's at Shannon's Pub. If you'd like the toilet, please email me at ball at harvardharvardmedia.com or you can direct that on Twitter or Facebook and we'll get that uh, toilet out to your place of business, raising money for the Sophia House Women's Shelter for necessities and Christmas gifts for those fleeing domestic violence. Really worthwhile uh, service in our community that flies under the radar, you know, with anonymity being a big part of what they do. And thanks to Ken Sebastian and the great gang over at Bronco Plumbing and Heating for help with this venture. All in LA, back to you guys. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.